South Florida now called an epicenter. We are undermanned tremendously. Now we know it's an airborne disease. Reclosures, restrictions. I, I think we're disjointed uh, in terms of the messages that's coming out of a different part of our government. And demands to rethink rollbacks. Give us the data, give us the facts. Give us a strategy. Critical contact tracing finally gets attention. Can you guys just look at each other right now and decide who is hiring contact tracers? As South Florida positives climb into red flag territory. Issue a mandatory mass order. Don't allow the political games to weigh on your decision. Speaking of politics, hear from one of the candidates running to be Miami-Dade's strong mayor. Integrity, independence, uh, and, and transparency. I mean, what you see is what you get with me. All this week, this week in South Florida. Good morning, I'm Glenna Milberg. Michael has the day off. We come together today as state COVID cases pass the quarter million mark. New numbers are just in up to date as well. And some of our neighborhoods are the hardest hit. Major changes this week meant to stem the tide drew some major blowback. The leaders making those changes are here live with us today in Miami-Dade. Collective hospital capacity is now in red flag territory. The mayor this week made some decisions, some revisions and orders that drew both support and protest and raised a lot of questions. Mayor Carlos Jimenez is with us via Skype to answer as many as we can get in. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Glenna. How you been? Great. Thank you very much. Let's start with the rollbacks that you did effective on Thursday again closing indoor restaurants, closing entertainment venues where people are going to be close together, possibly maskless, sharing the airspace. Uh, the fitness centers closed, were allowed to reopen after a compromise that it would be masked all the time for everyone inside. Um, but the biggest criticism I'm sure you've heard is that these were actions taken absent of some real scientific data that <laughs> these places are, are actually responsible for the spread. So, so why did you make that decision? Address that if you would. Um, it's not absent that scientific uh, data. Look uh, on the interior spaces of restaurants. It's the only thing that I know that you have to take your mask off to actually do the activity. You have to take your mask off to eat, to drink. And now we have a positivity rate of over 25%. When we made the decision to open the restaurants uh, back in uh, mid-May, mid positivity rate was about 8%. And it's interesting that some of the people that criticized the, the decision to close them again actually didn't open the restaurants until 10 days after we allowed it in the county. And so uh, some of those people must have been really, uh, really, really concerned about opening the restaurants. And then now they're unconcerned about closing the restaurants. And so... Well, Look, if, uh, if, I, if I may, because I've spoken to so many of them, they're, they're not unconcerned, and many of them truly understand that there have to be changes made. I guess the biggest question is um, gymnasiums, fitness centers, gyms got a, an opportunity to make some compromises. Uh, is there, there is no real scientific data that restaurant patrons uh, were responsible for this uptick in numbers at this point. Although the science, the science that you're citing and the guidance makes perfect sense, but why not give businesses like that a chance to figure out a way to be safe? It's impossible to figure out a way to be safe in an interior space when you have a 30, 30%, 25 to 30% positivity rate uh, when you have to take your mask off. The problem, it's an interior space when you take your mask off. That's the issue. Look, uh, the analogy that I gave the other day is it may be perfectly fine to take a curb at 50 miles an hour when it's dry pavement. But when you have wet pavement or you have snow or ice, you got to slow down. The, uh, 
the positivity rate in Miami-Dade County went from 8% to over 25%. That means the probability of somebody in a restaurant being with you, having the, the, the virus is much higher today than it was two to three weeks ago. Nobody said that restaurants were the only reason, but it is an unsafe act. That's why restaurants, the interior spaces had to close. That's why, you know, when we, we sat down with the restaurant industries, okay, the outdoor spaces is okay as long as we follow the rules that, that we had set up. Gymnasiums, they have to wear the mask indoors. Uh, you, if you want to do some kind of activity that uh, you can't uh, wear a mask in, you're going to have to do it outdoors. You cannot do it indoors. So let me, let me ask you this. How then, um, how is this so hard to enforce thursday we were visiting gyms we saw through the window people wearing masks underneath their chins it, certainly my intention is not to shame anyone or point fingers but i think that's a snapshot of how difficult these rules are to enforce absent 100 percent of the people taking personal responsibility how, how does that happen it's all, well it's very hard to enforce i mean obviously i mean we saw images on restaurants etc that uh, and social activities that were happening that were completely violating the the rules that obviously did it's our look it's up to us to uh, to do the right thing it's all it's up to us the government only can say look you should do this 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 and this at the end of the day it's going to be you and i and, and everybody else in this community that has to have a, a sense of civic duty to do the things we need to do in order to drive this uh, contagion down. And our positivity rate has uh, gone through, you know, from 8% to over 25%. We have our, we've seen that our, our hospital bed and our capacity is starting to, you know, dry up because we have some, so many more people that are in the hospital. What we're trying to do is drive the positivity rate down so that we don't get to the point where we're overtaxing our health system here in Miami-Dade County. And then we have needless deaths. Cer That's certainly exactly that is well, certainly yeah. that is everybody's goal. Totally understood. Let's talk about contact tracing. Really uh, one of the top things that from the get-go, there is no dispute that I've heard that contact tracing is the method, the process that will be one of the only things for a community to get a handle on and to pinpoint where the spread is happening. And yet uh, this week you announced the county is getting 250 additional contact tracers. That's good. Um, but, but really, Mayor, it wasn't until this week when you were in with the governor when he was in Miami and you were really pressed by our colleagues. Christina Vasquez was a reporter asking some of those questions. Where, where have the contact tracers been until now and, and who really is responsible for tripping that into action? Well, there's no there's no controversy of who's who's responsible. It's a state. I mean, it, the it, it's called the Miami-Dade County Department of Health, but it doesn't belong to Miami-Dade. It's a state agency. And contact tracing is a state responsibility, and it's their purview. What we have done here in Miami-Dade is was we will pay $14 million to add another 250 contact tracers here in Miami-Dade County, but that will work for the State Department of Health. And do we need more? Yes, uh, we need more. But what's interesting, too, that, I, you know, that we've been finding is, is contact tracing actually works when you start to drive the contagion level down. There's so many people right now that have this virus that contact tracing, what we really want to do is get these people up to speed so that when we start to drive the rate down, the contact tracers can actually do a much better job of pinpointing exactly where this thing is at. Because right now, this thing is just about everywhere. It started out 
in 33142, 33125 in the city of Miami, really hot spots, and down in South Dade. But now we see our map is basically orange just about everywhere in Miami-Dade County. And so we're glad to get those contact tracers down. The state is adding additional contact tracers down, get them on board, change the, the form so it gets a little bit more in-depth information uh, from, uh, from those people that are positive. And then once we start to drive this down, which these measures that we put in place last week and this and this spot, you know, this past week, uh, we won't see if those things, uh, those measures work for another 10 days or so. When we start to drive those down and then those contact tracers can really do the job and start to pinpoint exactly where it's at and then uh, and then try to get those folks that may have been exposed to also, you know, take the exam. But look, all of it, all of it. The only thing that's going to really work is our behavior and changing the behavior of the people of Miami-Dade County, taking this very seriously, especially the young, you know, they can't keep going to parties and thinking that everything is okay. And I think that that was the, probably the message that, that they got back in early June, yeah. that, hey, everything was okay. We can go out and start the party. We can hang out with our friends. And then the positivity rate among the young skyrocketed. Now it's spreading to the rest of the community. We yeah. have to take action. We have to do what's right. We have to take personal responsibility. That's the one thing that's really going to beat COVID-19 here in Miami-Dade. Uh, um, point well taken, and I hope everybody is listening to that. I want to ask you about the $138 million from the CARES Act, from the federal funding that uh, was sent to Florida of that. Um, it was distributed to counties based on need, and that need, from what we understand from the state, was delivered by the different county health departments. So Dade County Health Department transmitted what was needed, and Dade County got 19.5 million of that 138. Um, I'm gonna read the list of things delivered, six epidemiologists, 84 uh, contact tracers, 400 nurses. And uh, while that is all on very positive news, um, Broward got 50% more than Miami-Dade, uh, 30.5 million in the list of those things. Um, and certainly Broward is suffering, but the numbers are much higher in Miami-Dade. Would you put that into context for us? Well, I mean, I didn't put the list together. Again, that went to the department. And I, you know, what I, what I hate about it is says the Miami-Dade Department of Health. We were not, that's not Miami-Dade, okay? It's a state. So you need to talk to to the uh, the head of that agency down here in Miami-Dade as to why you know it is that uh, if they got everything that they asked for, they should have gotten more than than Broward County. I agree with that, you know, and uh, I'm I'm also you know I'm grateful that we're getting the extra nurses uh, and help here because really that's what we need in order to o open up more of our uh, hospital beds. We have more reserve capacity that we need to open up, more reserve capacity with ICU beds, more reserve capacity with the uh, critical care, but we need the staffing for that. That message has been relayed to, to the governor. He gave 100 uh, nurses to Jackson last week, hope to get additional nursing personnel here in Miami-Dade so that we can open up more and more of these hospital uh, beds as we get closer and closer to uh, to capacity. Yeah, and, and real quickly, I know that so many parents, are. we are a month away of what may be the beginning of a school year, and I know you and the superintendent have been hashing out some kind of option, something, you know, in in the purview of listening to state and federal education authorities say we must open, we must open. Update us, if you would, on what Miami-Dade parents can expect next month. Well, the superintendent and I, we met last week. I know that they have a, a plan. We spoke again, actually, this morning. We ran into each other. 
And um, and uh, it's it's critical. Look, it's going to be based on what's happening here in Miami-Dade County with the virus when it's time to open school. And so we spoke about it. We need to have different uh, options depending on where we are with with the virus. You know, if, if the virus is at this level still, you know, six weeks from now, no, I don't think he or I would be comfortable with a, a back to school, you know, scenario. It's more of a, a virtual school scenario. But uh, if the virus was at a, at a much lower level, you know, maybe you could have the option of some, you know, uh, children going, you know, back to school, back to the actual physical school. But we're not there yet. Um, a and lot, so, oh, you know, a lot, a lot I, to do in the next month is what we're hearing. A lot of decisions still to be made. Yep. Mayor, yep. great to see you and appreciate your time, value your perspective. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Glenna. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. From Miami-Dade to Broward, the virus knows no borders. So why are health and safety rules different there? Broward Mayor Dale Holness is with us next. Welcome back. Rising COVID cases led to new rollbacks in Broward County as well this week. Now in effect, though Broward is taking a markedly different approach than Miami-Dade, most notably restaurants, though under new guidelines in Broward, do remain open. Broward County Mayor Dale Holness is with us via Skype from Fort Lauderdale. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning. Thanks for being with us this morning. And let's start Thank right you. there. Your new executive order uh, in the county mandated that uh, restaurants now have new rules, certain amount of people six to a table, earlier closing hours, and yet they are open. What is, I, I'm going to presume that the guidance from the CDC is the same that you used in Broward, keeping people from being in each other's airspace without masks. So explain how you got to such a, a, a different uh, scenario than Miami-Dade did. Well, first, I, I, thank you for having me in. And it basically came from our monthly, weekly meetings with all the mayors across Broward County where we discussed the issue and find common ground. We have chosen to uh, be stricter with our enforcement and the additional requirements that you've talked about. So now if there is a restaurant or anyone violating the rules, uh, any business, we can shut that business down for 24 hours the first time around. And each subsequent violation adds another 72 hours of closure. Uh, we believe a measured approach based on the consensus from our mayors uh, would be the one that we take. Uh, so a business, if they get cited once, 24-hour closure, uh, 96 hours the second time around, 168 hours, uh, and up to 240 hours. And additionally, uh, the fine of up to $15,000 uh, can be put in place also uh, for them. So we, we are, we've also established a 311 or emergency line, 311 for the community to participate uh, to let us know where there are violations. And we are partnering with all our cities and their code enforcement departments, their police department, to monitor and to issue citations as they come in uh, from the complaint lines, but also uh, proactively going out and visiting different businesses to see that they are com uh, complying. Uh, and, and it's been fairly successful so far. We have issued 74 uh, citation or warnings from the calls that have come in. Well, let me let me ask you this because you have a dashboard that shows the public exactly where the uh, violations have been reported and the uh, status of each, and that's very valuable. On that dashboard, though, there, 
as if I'm reading it correctly, that's my disclaimer, there are all warnings. There have been no fines or closures uh, that I've seen on this dashboard if I'm looking in the right place. Um, and in, in the larger sense, I mean enforcement of that kind of rule for so many restaurants, entertainment centers, um, you know, let's not even talk about house parties. In, in practical terms, how confident are you that you can really police something like this? Well, we've actually closed some establishments down. Yola, for one, on Los Olas got closed down. Uh, we've issued 46 citations uh, of the 744 warnings and citations that's been issued. And I, I can tell you this, restaurants and other establishments are now recognizing that there's a penalty, penalty and that we're publicizing those who are doing wrong. And they want to make sure they comply. So that's a part of what is happening right now in Broward County, is that the word is out that we'll shut you down we are going to publicize that you've done wrong, and we're seeing more compliance than before. You know, you mentioned, Mayor, uh, just a little while ago, you mentioned uh, t talking to all the city mayors around Broward County. Um, for people who aren't in the weeds with government, I just want to throw out there that Miami-Dade and Broward have a very different form of government, strong mayor in Miami-Dade, uh, strong administrator in Broward. And so you and your colleagues on the commission are always in touch with the mayors of the different cities, which is, is a bit different than happens in Miami-Dade at the moment. I'm, I'm interested in hearing, when we talked earlier this week, you had said that you were disappointed in disjointed uh, messaging and that you would like to see everybody be fully coordinated in this messaging since so many people are back and forth through Miami-Dade, Monroe counties. Uh, I wonder if you could fill us in on what your city mayors are saying and, and is there a big difference? How do you corral those kind of differing uh, policies and perspectives and, and put that coordinated message and policies into place? It is difficult to do that, to corral everyone and to get them on the same page. And at the onset, uh, when we're shutting down, there was some disjointedness on our part here in Broward County. Uh, but the persistence of having these meetings and having everyone voice heard and then coming to a consensus and everyone living uh, with that consensus and, and supporting that consensus have worked pretty well for us in Broward County. Our County Administrator Henry, our County Attorney's Office, and, and staffs on those calls. The last one we had on Monday was for over three hours. It was, it was long. But everyone got their voice in. Uh, everyone was heard. And, and in order for us to enforce this, we need the city's cooperation. We need for them to be on the same message to ensure that we're, what needs to be done is being done. And, and I'm pretty happy to see where we are uh, with, where, with the, the mayors participating, and the cities participating, and the coordinated effort that we're uh, putting forward. Well, what is a disagreement? Share with us a disagreement or a, an opposition that a, a mayor of a certain city might have. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think, like, what would they want to do different? Share so so I can tell you that on our Monday call, there were some who wanted us to go to shut down and some who didn't want us to go to shut down. Uh, but again, we heard everyone, every voice was, he was heard. Uh, when we closed the beaches, uh, some didn't want to close the beaches. Uh, some wanted us to have restricted hours, restrict parking, uh, but but at the end of the day, the consensus was we closed the beaches, and we did. And so on Friday, you all had a workshop. Uh, the commission had a workshop, a COVID workshop. At that workshop, the CEO of Memorial West uh, told you and your colleagues that their ICU was past 100% capacity. Uh, for the record, that is not the picture of the whole county. There are hospitals, certainly, that have 
a much better occupancy. Um, but that sort of does sound like someone was sounding the alarm. What is it going to take and, and will it be that hospital occupancy to make the decision to go stricter or shut down completely? It, it certainly will be the major driving force for us uh, because what we don't want to be is in a place where we are rationing care uh, for those who might not even have COVID that need to access the emergency room or an ICU room. Uh, Broward Health does have capacity and other hospitals in Broward County has capacity. Uh, what that CEO from Memorial also pointed out that a large number of the people that are coming to their facility are coming out of North Dade. Uh, so the further north you go, the less number. Miami-Dade County, uh, in fact, has a larger number of cases than we do in Broward County. I'm going to ask you also, I know you were listening to our interview with Mayor Jimenez of Miami-Dade, who the headline about school openings there are so many more decisions yet to be made in a very short amount of time. Uh, what, what's the situation in Broward? Well, I, my conversation with uh, Superintendent Ronson this week, uh, what he's noted that from surveys is done, about a quarter of the parents want their kids to be at home. Uh, and there probably will be a blend when school is open, uh, some at home, some in the classroom part-time, some in the classroom full-time. He figure it might end up being about a third uh, and, and a third. The issue that he has that he's concerned about is transportation because now the kids will have to be spaced out uh, in the buses for social distancing. So he's actually asking for help with that. The other things that, thing that he pointed out was childcare is going to be a major issue. And I talked to our, our county administrator to see how we can get some of our care funds, uh, CARES funds to help those uh, childcare centers to be opened again because many of them are currently closed. So that would be an issue. He's also asked our cities to participate in allowing their facilities to be utilized uh, for, with technology and with, uh, whatever, whatever complementary assistance the cities can give to the school board to ensure that we have a successful school year uh, this coming year. Mayor Dale Holness, Broward County, value your time this morning. Thank you very much for being with us. We will check and back with you as these difficult decisions are made and glad to see you're wearing a mask. You must. I, I shudder to ask what thing. that acronym That's means. <laughs> Our behavior is going to determine how well successful we are with fighting this virus. Amen to that. Mayor Holness, thank you very much. Appreciate it. You. you know, even before the reclosure order for indoor restaurants took effect, Thursday in Miami-Dade came angry and frustrated demands, as you've been hearing, to know the science behind that decision. So a restaurant owner and protest organizer is with us next. Thank you. Relying on CDC guidance in the absence of specific numbers and scientific data, you heard Miami-Dade's mayor make the case for reclosing businesses like indoor restaurants where people share unmasked airspace. The backlash to that order was immediate from a struggling hospitality industry that has been reopened, had been reopened just weeks and trying to recover. Annie Meinhold runs Phuc Ya, a Vietnamese Cajun restaurant in Miami that before Thursday had been open, complying with all the guidance. She is part of the industry's collective question, asking, why us? And right there, she is with us via Skype. Annie, good morning. Morning. I guess good afternoon almost, but uh, you know. <laughs> it's almost um, 12 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to um, ask you, you know, we've done stories this week as the restaurant inside was being reclosed and 
Um, you were talking about not necessarily disagreeing with reclosures. Your question was that you felt like restaurants had been singled out. And now that you've heard the mayor this morning really make a case for why he wanted to make this move, have, have you changed your mind? I mean, I still haven't changed my mind. I think that, I don't think the issue is is closure. I think it's the fact that the restaurant industry is being singled out. Um, you know, I went on uh, an account this morning on Instagram and all I saw were um, bars being full, nightclubs being full, private house gatherings with like mariachis and stuff. And I just cannot understand um, how it is that with all of these people congregating in large parties, large events, it's the restaurants that seat two to four people that are complying with the new mandate, the new normal mandate issued by our own mayor. Why is he targeting us and not those individuals? Well, those it, are it sounded like, excuse me for interrupting, but it sounded like those other individuals were absolutely also being targeted. And I guess the, the question is, how do you enforce something like that? Correct. Correct. And I think well, what what uh, Mayor Holness was just saying, I mean, he's right on, you know, greater enforcement, limiting parking, you know, actually going out and um, you have the, the 311. But in Miami-Dade, it's different. You know, city of Miami, city of Miami Beach. We have so many cities and no one can get on the same page. And, you know, for Mayor Jimenez to single-handedly in his most recent statement point out that one in three or four diners carry uh carry corona i mean it's not diners people it's people across the board it's the entire population of miami-dade county well, i think just i mean just to i think his point was there's 25 percent positivity rate so theoretically every one in four people in miami-dade or uh, yeah every one four people in miami-dade is possibly positive i think i think that was his point but let me ask you in, in a compromising um, situation theoretically like the gyms compromised and are ordering masks be worn all the time although we see how that was already violated the first day in some places well, what might for instance your restaurant do as a compromise to to allow people to dine with their masks on in a safe way I mean what would that even be like I mean, the only way to really do that is to make sure that when you're seated at the table and you're having conversation with your peers, you keep your mask on. You remove your mask only to drink a beverage, put it back down, put your mask on. You know, eat when your meal arrives, finish eating and put your mask on. That really is the only way to realistically do it. Um, and I would love to say that restaurant employees can try to enforce that as much as possible, but to have to tell different people at different times how and when to keep their masks on, you know, we also need those individuals to play their part as well. You yeah. know, it's not it's not us. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's not the owners. I mean, the hospitality restaurant in industry in South Florida is just huge and it's critical for so many. And I know, you know, your, you and your employees have now thought about unemployment again and, and what to do. Yeah. I mean, what do you see as the changing face of the restaurant industry, not only short term, but but long term? You know, it's that's a really, really hard question, because in the short term, um, you're going to see a lot of closures. A lot of places are not going to be here in three months. Um, in the long term, the people, the businesses that survive, I mean, it will be sort of survival of the fittest, will be there, but it's not going to be it's not going to be the same, you know. Um, restaurants are supposed to bring people together, family 
uh, family occasions, celebrations. We're supposed to be there when you have something uh, wonderful to celebrate or if you've had a really bad day, we're there, we're there for you. So um, it's really, this, this whole situation is very challenging. It's, it's we, we're questioning what we're doing on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to kind of put an exclamation point on that great big sigh because that you and your colleagues and the industry and really we all are in for some really tough times in, in very different ways. I know there are a lot of people in the industry looking to do fundraising and try to prop up uh, some of the people who are having the hardest time. Annie Meinhold, Fook, yeah. Um, great restaurant and I just want to say to everybody that that is not an FCC violation that you taught me that it means blessings prosperity and good fortune. good fortune yes it does thanks so much for being with us next up a first-hand bout with a case of COVID gives fresh perspective to the lawmakers who craft policies driving public health South Florida State Rep Chevron's Jones is one of those currently dealing with both and he joins us next Today marks day 11 since State Representative Chevron Jones tested positive for COVID-19 and day 11 of his online video diary of his journey through it. Those presentations have been part personal sharing, part political challenge, two minutes at a time. We'll take more than that with Chevron Jones with us live from the room in West Park where we've seen you quarantining for so long. How are you? I'm doing well, Glenda. Two weeks in. I'm doing well. How are you? Um, well, I'm good. Thank you. Knock, knock. You you look good for what you've been through. I might say um, I want to also find out how your parents are because I know your parents are suffering with COVID well and they are in their 70s. Yep. And my mom and dad are both doing well. I just got off the phone with both of them uh, this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that they both are doing well. My brother's doing well also. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful this morning. Um, please do give our best to them. You know, um, Chevron, early on, you in your video diary, you were pleading with Governor Ron DeSantis to do a statewide mask mandate. The governor has said from the get-go he's leaving that to the locals, that one size does not fit all. Uh, locally, we have mask <laughs> mandates in, in our counties. Do you, with what you've learned, do you still feel like that? Absolutely, uh, and even looking at the new reports today, to where we're looking at uh, upwards to uh, 15,000 new cases in Florida, uh, we can't have this patchwork uh, worth of policies that's going through 67 counties uh, because just because the numbers are higher in Miami or uh, in Broward County does not mean that those numbers are not going to get higher as we go up 95. And so it's the right thing to do. Uh, if you look at Texas, the Texas governor has even found the need to do a, a mass order and potentially about to do another shutdown. And if our numbers keep going in the direction that they're going, I believe that it's the governor's responsibility uh, and his responsibility to, to the 21 million people here in the state of Florida to do a mandatory mass order for the safety of all of us. So here's here's this sort of $10,000 question I've been asking people. So you, you've been very upfront in some of your videos that you, you take personal responsibility for perhaps not doing the right thing and being responsible for your own getting sick. Um, am, am I on target with that? You're on target yeah. with it, and you're right. Yeah, and we can't put all the blame on the governor, but what he can't control, yeah, I would say he does, he should control. And when it okay, comes well, to my, uh, what my, what my question, you're right. Yeah, but what my question was going to be, you know, there, there are, frankly, a lot of people who are deciding to do things that they want to do that aren't necessarily part of the law in place. 
So even if there were a statewide mask mandate, how do you enforce something like that if people aren't going to take that kind of responsibility? Practically speaking, how, how is that enforceable? Well, you're right, and, um, and I don't. I don't want to be the one to to say that we need to put law enforcement on on anything like this. Uh, but I will say that if individuals don't want to uh, listen to the the reports from the governor or listen to the reports from science, listen to individuals like myself who have been going through 11 days or longer because my onset of my symptoms have been about 14 days today. Yeah, it, it has not been a great ride, and I'm speaking with people through my Facebook in. Um, uh, messenger and on Twitter of people who are talking about their symptoms and talking about their experience. You, people do not want to go through COVID. I'm telling you, and I, if they, if I can sit and Zoom and talk to them and tell them about this experience, don't don't allow your theories and don't allow these individuals who are going across the state suing cities because they have these mask orders to tell you not to wear a mask or to tell you that it's a hoax. Take it from me. You don't want it. Firsthand is very valuable, as well as nine of our colleagues here uh, talking just like you're talking, and I hope that message really resonates. You know, Chevron, early on, you were very critical of the process or lack thereof of contact tracing both locally and statewide. Uh, have you seen progress there? I'll be honest with you. I have seen progress. As a matter of fact, I've gotten two calls already from the Department of Health ever since I posted on Twitter last week uh, about the lack thereof of the contact tracing system that we have uh, here in Florida. Uh, and since then, I have gotten a call. But the question is, did I receive that call because uh, of my position, or did I receive that call because everyone is receiving that call? Because the truth be told, Linda, everyone who has tested positive for COVID, need, they need to receive a phone call to, so, they, so the department can begin to track who else have become infected? Because if not, we're not going to grab a hole, a, a handle on, on what's happening right now in our communities. And so we have to create a contact tracing system so we can at least put a stop to uh, the spread of this virus that's happening right now. And people have to go get tested. And I guess the other message is besides the testing and, and contact tracing, whoever might uh, get a call from that contact tracer to be forthcoming and, and truthful. And that apparently has been an issue. And, and, well, and that I, I posted it yesterday, and I'll keep, I'll keep saying it. It is irresponsible for people who know that they, are, uh, uh, they have COVID and not share with people that they've been around. If you've been around people and you know that you have COVID, the right thing to do is tell someone that you have it. But the only way you're going to find out if you have it or not, you have to get tested. And there are many places within local communities where you can go get tested now. And as a matter of fact, they are on our website, localpen.com. Yes, they are. Chevron Jones, uh, be well, feel good. Thanks so much for the, your time this morning. Thank you so much, Glenda. Next up, Miami-Dade voters are weeks away from electing a new county mayor. The leading candidates are all coming in right here. Xavier Suarez is up next via Skype. On next month's ballot, Miami-Dade voters will be electing a new county mayor. Four current commissioners are running, and we continue our series of convos with the candidates today. Xavier Suarez is a lawyer, has been a Miami-Dade commissioner since 2011, representing Pinecrest, Key Biscayne, Coral Gables, and Miami, where Suarez, a generation ago, served as city mayor, 85 to 93, right? 85 to 93, it was actually three terms because the first two were only two-year terms. 
And so today you are coming to us, I understand, from your son's home. Francis Suarez, now the mayor of Miami, a generation later than his dad. And um, and can I tell you that he has been so uh, has garnered so much notoriety even nationally because of the COVID crisis. So really, how much part of a campaign of dad's campaign is son? I see your producer uh, gave you a tip on that. And that's that's fine. Oh, I, I don't reveal <laughs> I don't ever reveal my sources. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, it's a good thing, too, because if, if people saw me today uh, on another station, they would have seen that the quality is not quite there. This is the first time <laughs> I use Gizmo other than my own, you know, and uh, makeup by my wife, by the way. Uh, well, uh, you look great. And let me um, we our first question is typically go ahead. You know, it's not a debate, but take a minute and, and make the case why you would be the best candidate for Miami-Dade mayor. In addition to the fact that uh, almost everything important that's been done in Miami-Dade County in the last 30 years has either been done by myself or by Francis or by the two of us in the case of the uh, Grand Central downtown, Miami Central, uh, $68 million structure uh, and the smart plan um, and, and the upcoming linkage all the way to uh, Fort Lauderdale that will be done through the FEC line where the city of Miami got a perpetual easement for that. Uh, people don't mention that, so that's another quarter that will be coming online. In addition to that, um, I'm I'm very accessible. I'm totally transparent. You know, when my opponents all engage in these uh, hidden packs that, that attack people, I, I try to stick to to my platform to the extent that I use a political action committee. That's what we refer to as a pack. It's one that has. Uh, I'm the president of it. It's called Imagine Miami. Uh, by the way, that title was the um, social services agency that uh, Daniela Levine Cava had. And I, I, I asked to borrow it when she changed the Catalyst Miami. She said, that's fine. I said, I'll give it back to you if you ever need it back. You know, Commissioner, uh, you brought up something. I, before BC, I like to say, before COVID, transit and traffic really was the issue that everybody was talking about. Uh, you've been all about rail when right now there's a plan to really amp up the bus service. Uh, you talked a little bit about that. Right now, though, COVID is the thing, and I wonder if you would weigh in on how you think the county mayor has done managing this crisis and, and what might you do better? Well, let me step back a second. Even now, the, the whole issue of transportation, mass transportation, is as important as before. Not the congestion on the streets as much as before, but mass transportation and making it free so that our service workers, uh, our frontline workers, and, and all of us that need to go to work at a site, as opposed to what you and I are doing, we're doing from remote locations, uh, can do it. Uh, and that's why I have proposed to make it, make it totally free. Kansas City did that. Public transportation is going to be free there. Mayor got elected. Three months later, he proposed it. Uh, we can do it in Miami-Dade County. And why? Because the people are suffering economically, particularly in the service industries, particularly hotel, restaurants, um, and, and shops. And they have to be at work. You have to take, you know, the, the, the bricks and the drywall and, and you have to go do the beds and, and serve the food and cook the food um, and, and, and uh, take care of, of your retail shop at the shop. And so making it free uh, would be a, a great thing to do to alleviate some of the amazing, amazing economic deprivation that we've had in that industry. Understood, which understood. Okay, pivot for me uh, on the COVID front. Um, specifically, how do you think the mayor has been managing? You've been very critical of the contact tracing efforts. What would you do right now as mayor 
to, the, the to last, really manage this crisis better. The last week has just been, uh, you know, just awful, back and forth, changing. You, you can't do that. Uh, Jimenez was never particularly consultative um, with, with his own commissioners, um, and, and he hasn't been in this matter. Uh, we usually get a call when he's going to change an executive order or, or enter a new one five minutes before he does it. And, uh, and that's from his assistant. We don't even, I don't even get a call from him. Um, he also hasn't called the mayors of the cities. He hasn't consulted uh, um, all, the, all the people he needs to consult. I mean, who more than his county commissioners and, and the mayors of big cities? Um, and it's not totally correct to say that he's always been in a battle with, uh, with the mayor of Miami, my son. Actually, they were good. They were good friends and allies until a couple of years ago. Uh, just for the and, record, I, I did not say that. But um, let me... No, no, let no. Me, I mean, other people have said that. No, no, because, not Because we're so tight on time on television these days, I just want to get a couple more issues in so people can hear. Uh, you recently voted to reinstate a civilian panel for police reform, police oversight in the county. Uh, where do you see that going? And what was your rationale for supporting subpoena power? Yes, and by the way, the county's 30 years behind the city on this. I did this as mayor of the city of Miami. We've been battling in court on subpoena powers. Uh, in fact, the recent case, D'Agostino, was 2017. Um, and, and so the county's 30 years behind. Anyone that tells you anything uh, to the contrary notwithstanding. Um, yes, I voted for it. We may not have enough of a majority, a supermajority, to overcome a mayoral veto. But it's going to be on, on, on the uh, ballot as a charter amendment. Um, and, and I congratulate my colleagues who are uh, pushing for that to be on, uh, on, on the ballot. So, and I do support it either as a charter amendment or as legislation if the mayor doesn't veto it. And real quickly, I, this is not a partisan race, um, but you are the only registered independent of all the candidates. And although it's not a partisan race, this county often splits carefully along partisan lines. How do you think that's going to play for you? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that a lot of times people don't mention it. I'm the only independent uh, on the county commission and have been. Typically, when I govern and obviously when I run for office in a nonpartisan race, um, you know, I like to be nonpartisan. It helps enormously if you get to govern because I go to Tallahassee, I go to Washington, uh, and I can meet with both parties. I have friends at very high places in both parties, and I can get uh, bring some of the bacon back to Miami from uh, Miami-Dade, from, from uh, Tallahassee, and from Washington, D.C. we got to change I, that I, saying for the vegans, just saying. Xavier Suarez, great to see you. A little bit <laughs> of a lightning round. Now, so I gotta really <laughs> a little it. bit of a lightning round this morning, but uh, we'll see how this race goes. And if there's a runoff, maybe you'll be back. And Thanks thank again. You, All right. Take Stay tuned. We will be right back. much for being with us. We are online 24-7 at local10.com. Have a beautiful Sunday. This is a Local 10 editorial with WPLG President Bert Medina. Do you really want your voice to be heard? Ask yourself, am I registered to vote? The primary election is on August 18th, and you can't vote unless you're registered. If you're a U.S. citizen and you're 18 years of age or older, you have until July 20th to register. Doing so is easy. You can do it online, by mail, at local libraries or government offices. For a complete list of how and where, visit local10.com. Voting is a right and a responsibility. Register to vote. Then on election day, do your part and cast your ballots. Of course, this is just the beginning of the conversation. Let's continue it on local10.com. This has been a Local 10 editorial. We encourage the presentation of contrasting points.
SoFlow Health is next on the one and only Local 10. These are uncertain times, and we are adjusting to changes. And that could include changing the way you vote. Whether you like to vote in person at the polls. Or you could switch to voting by mail. There are a couple of good options to balance civic duty and protecting your health. For all the different ways you can vote, log on to local10.com. So vote early, vote by mail, vote in person. Whatever you decide, just vote. 